What feast has Jesus been at teaching in Jerusalem? The Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. You unusually quiet voice then. I know. Okay. So, anyway, this is a new section. And the whole chapter is about, since most of y'all didn't read it, we'll tell you what it's about. It's about uh, <laughs> John chapter 9 is about the healing of a man that is born blind. And he's born blind and he's healed on the Sabbath, which, do you remember what happened when Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5? All kind of controversy blew up. There was all kind of stuff going on. And so what we're going to do is most of the time when we talk about John 9, the, the chapter is not about suffering and why people suffer, but Jesus explains to the disciples that the man wasn't born blind because of sin and suffering always comes up. So I figured we'd take this class and we talk about suffering. We talk about the first five or six verses of John 9, and then next week we'll do the rest of John 9. That'll give you all a chance to, to kind of look over it and just see what all is going on. Uh, Please, please, please do not trust me or anybody else to tell you what all this is, what all it means. Read it for yourself. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask questions. If you think I'm, you know, I'm wrong a lot, but don't tell my wife, but, you know, I'm wrong sometimes, but... You know, so if you're... Tr- don't trust me to tell you this is what it is, This because I could be wrong. I mean, that, and if I'm wrong, you won't be able to say in front of God, hey, Jason told me, because I don't care what Jason told you. I gave you my book. You need to be looking at it. Okay? So anyway, uh, this whole section, this chapter is about, it's about light and darkness. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world in this, in this chapter. And what you're going to see as we look through the chapter is Jesus going to heal a man that was born blind. And as he heals that man, uh, the miracle that happens in this chapter, I think, is not so much the healing, but the man coming to know Christ. At the beginning, the man has no idea who Christ is. He says, a man, the man called Jesus, put stuff in my eyes. And then about halfway through, they said, the Pharisees say to the man, they say, who do you say this Jesus is? And he says, he's a prophet. So now he's not just a man, he's a prophet. And by the end of the chapter, the man is worshiping Jesus. You know, he's been cast out of the synagogue and now he's worshiping Jesus as God. So you see this man coming from darkness. He's sitting there blind into light and then more light and then more light as he grows to see that Jesus is God. And then at the same time, you see the Pharisees who are supposed to be the religious, you know, elite. They got it going on. We've talked about them before. You see them moving from not necessarily light, but from blindness to more blindness to more blindness to more blindness. So by the end of the chapter, the Pharisees have completely rejected Jesus. They've rejected his miracle. They've rejected the man who received his miracle. Uh, Basically, they just put their foot down and says, we're not going to have any of it. So at the same time, one man is getting his sight and being brought into the light. You've got these others that are supposed to be this real religious crowd that's going downhill into darkness. And so that's what he means when he says, I'm the light of the world. So let me just read. 
the first, uh, we're just going to read the first six or seven verses and then we'll stop and that's all we'll do for today and we'll talk about what's going on. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, which means he had never seen. Now imagine that for a second. I mean, it's... It's one thing for a person who goes blind, you know that this guy had never seen anything. He didn't know, you know, like, take stuff for granted, like what that tree looks like back there in the corner or what this chalkboard. He'd never seen anything. So, I mean, he'd never seen from the time he was born to that day, all it was was black darkness. And so it says, and his disciples, Jesus' disciples, asked him, saying, Master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born? blind. And Jesus answered, neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And he, and when he had spoken this, he spat on the ground, made clay of his spittle and anointed his eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is by interpretation sent. That's what the word means. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Okay, so what you have here, let's focus on what Jesus and the disciples were talking about at first. What, were the, what was the assumption the disciples made about the blind man? It was somebody who sinned, somebody's direct sin that caused him to be blind. Is that the case? No, not in this case. Now we know that that you can be you can have suffering because of sin. God chastises his children. You see it over and over again. I think it's in Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven where Paul says some of y'all are taking the Lord's Supper unworthy and it's caused you to be sick. Uh, you can see even in John chapter 5 when he healed that man at the pool of Bethesda he told him now go and sin no more that something worse doesn't happen to you so it's possible but it's not always and it's not in this case uh, the man he the man had been born blind and the disciples come up and basically they're asking why would God allow this man to be born blind well he must have done something really bad or if he's blind from birth his parents must have done something really bad for him it to be him to be you know blind and Jesus doesn't even answer their question he just brushes both of those options aside they ask Jesus one of two options either the man sinned and he's blind or his parents sinned and that's why he's blind and Jesus just brushes both of those aside he said it's neither him nor his parents have sinned what was the reason the man was blind so that God's work would be manifested in him. Now, what he's saying is the disciples wanted to know the cause. What caused this man to be blind? And I don't know, you may not have thought about it too much, but uh, we also think the same way. You know, when something bad happens to you, you want to know why. You're like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this going on in my life? Right now I'm going through uh, the book of Job. and I'm, I'm doing lessons out of that. And uh, that's what Job, Job is asking through the whole book. Why did you do this to me? And the, the friends of Job, if you know the story, three friends come to comfort him. All they can say is, you must have done something bad. You must have done something bad, Job. And Job's like, I, I hadn't done anything that I know of. And, and so the whole time it's about, it's, about, uh, it's about control. Okay? Now think about this. Like... 
They want to know what caused this man to be blind in order that we won't do that and become blind. See what I mean? If the world, if suffering just comes out of nowhere, then that's a scary world to live in, isn't it? It's like at any moment, a blood vessel would pop in me and I would die. At any moment. It's out of my control. At, at any moment, anything could happen. You know, the whatever. You know, I could be electrocuted. But you could be, you know, driving down the road, have an accident. At any moment, there could be something going on in my body that could, that could cause me to die. And that is a scary world to live in. That's a scary place to live in. And so what we do is we want to know, we want to know what causes things. Uh, as, a, as a hospital chaplain, I go and see people. And the first thing, like, there's a lady that, with, uh, with lung cancer. And it was like... The, the chaplain I was with was talking to her. I was just standing there. And it was like, well, well did you smoke? You know? And, and she was like, well, yeah, I smoked. And then that kind of gave him a like, you know, I could tell. He didn't say none of this, but I could tell because, well, I don't smoke, so I don't have to worry about it. You see what I mean? Does that make sense? You see what I'm trying to say? We want control. We want to know what causes. We can't live in a world where suffering just comes out of nowhere for no reason. Now, there's always a reason, but God knows the reason. We don't know the reason. See what I mean? So we want to make sure the disciples come up with this blind man. They say, God would not allow this man to be born blind unless somebody had sinned. Unless this man had sinned or his parents had sinned, there's a, there's a cause for why this man is blind. And Jesus said, no, you, you, you don't need to be worrying about the cause. What you need to be worrying about is the purpose why this man is blind. And the purpose for his blindness was that God's works would be manifest. Y'all with me there? Y'all understand that? So the, the thing is, over in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus tells the story of uh, the people, disciples come to him and they say, why did these people die? And Jesus said, do you think that they're more sinful than all of the rest of the people? He said, no. He said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So what he was saying was, um, is that suffering, it's right for God to inflict suffering on us at any time for any reason. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? And that's a, that's a scary place to be because we have to trust God. We can't just, you know, I don't care how much you exercise. I don't care how much medicine you take. I don't care what you do for a healthy lifestyle. There's going to come a day when you get sick. I don't care who you are. There's going to come a day if Jesus doesn't return first that you're going to die. I mean, it's just going to happen. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no, well, what can I do to kind of get at it? The death rate is one to one. You know, everybody who's born will die unless Jesus returns first. And so the disciples are assuming here that, that suffering is caused by sin uh, and they, they want to know what this man did to deserve. They want to know what he did to deserve being born blind. Uh, but Jesus tells them that God has a good purpose in them being born blind. Now, let me ask you this. This is a bit tougher question. If God were to ask you, I mean, like, you knew it was God speaking to you, like God just, Jesus showed up in a glowing whatever and, and came to you and said, asked you, listen, I, I'm going to get some glory in this, but what I want to do is I want to take your sight away for the rest of your life. Would you, would you say, okay, cool, let's do that. Would you give up your sight just for God's glory because he asked you to? What, let, me, let me ask you this way. 
Would you give up? Would you give me your eyeballs for ten million dollars? I say, give me. I'll give you ten million dollars. You let me pluck out your eyeballs, or let a doctor do it. Let me. I, I won't do it. But just let a doctor do it. Would you give me your sight for ten million dollars? Some people might, but you kind of yeah. But <laughs> one, one for five. Would you give me one for five? Really? You would? You give me an eyeball for five? Cash <laughs> check. It'd have to be cash because you don't want my check for five million dollars. We can both. But why? Would you? Uh, why would you not give both? That's what I want to. You say you'd probably give one, huh? Because I still need one. Okay, you still need one. Even if you got ten million dollars, you can hire somebody to come lead you around. I still, You can't enjoy ten million without being able to see. So, you don't think blind rich people can enjoy life? No. <laughs> <laughs> Michael said no. Huh? Maybe if they were born blind. Okay, well, the point of all that is, listen, this guy knows, I mean, this guy doesn't know anything. And the disciples don't know anything. But when he was born, God knew he's going to be blind. And then there's going to come a point in his life when, of course, Jesus is going to come and he's going to heal him and it's going to be to my glory. I don't think the healing was actually what he was talking about here. I think it was the man's coming to Christ through the chapter. But... uh, God had a good purpose in mind for the man's suffering. It would be for his good. If the man sat there blind all his life and Jesus never came along, boo-hoo, the man would have been blind. But even worse, the man would have died and he would have gone to hell for eternity. You know, if God came to you and said, you know, for my glory, which I I got to take your eyesight, that's a pretty quick a trick question because before I was saved and you would have said that I'd be like uh huh but now having the relationship with Christ that I have knowing what he did for me I gave him all of me so he could take whatever he wanted for his glory. Right. Now he can take whatever he wants okay, anyway. Right. But you, whether you, he asks you or but not. you ask what I willingly do it. Right. Would you? Yes. Now I wouldn't have before. Would it be an easy decision for you to make? Yes. Really? Yes. Would it be an easy decision for y'all? No. It would be for me now knowing the sacrifice that Christ paid for me. Yeah. Now, think about this. If if Christ came and stood right here and said and said, "Houston, I'm going to take your I want to take your eyesight and I'm going to do it and it's going to really glorify my name and give me glory." And and Houston said, yeah, "I don't think so." Would Houston be putting another god before God? Yes. Yeah. So Huh? Oh, well, that's not yeah. sinful at all. <laughs> yeah, that's much better. That's much better. Yes. Don't we kind of act like that anyways? Like when someone is going through something, we always say that, you know, like, well, God's got a good purpose for this. So we're still saying that, even though we're not saying, would you do it willingly? We're coming in after the fact and saying, well, you know, God's got a plan and it's going to work out. And it's all going to anyways. Right, right. I agree with you. 
Is there? What What do you mean? Yeah, my point behind that was to ask the quick. I mean, it's gonna. There, I don't care who you are. If you live long enough, you're gonna get sick. Something's gonna happen, even if it's not for 80 years from now. There's going to be something eventually. I mean, unless Jesus returns and recreates everything before you go, you're going to end up. You know, yeah, in a box, basically. You know, you may have, you may, it may be something quick where bang and you're gone, or it may be a long drawn out deal. But suffering is going to come to everybody, even if you're healthy for all of your life, except for one day, pow, and you're gone. You're going to lose loved ones along the way. You're going to have tragedies in your life along the way. Suffering is going to come to everyone. I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. It's the nature of the fallen world that we live. And so while sometimes God will chastise people with suffering, you know, just to bring them back to himself, uh, more often than not, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, more often than not, suffering happens to us because we live in this fallen world, you know. And a lot of times, since all of us have sinned, it's easy when... You know, I heard somebody just last week, you know, fell on the ice and, and, and messed some stuff up, you know, like broke leg and what all that. God's punishing me because I did X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you don't know that. And there's no, you know, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, then all those sins are paid for. God can't punish you for the same sin that he punished his son. Now, he may be chastising you to bring you back, but don't ever think, well, God just threw this on me because I didn't do, you know, that's not, Jesus is telling his disciples, that's not the way to think. You don't worry about what caused it. You worry about God's purpose in it. What is God teaching me? Instead of laying there in the hospital bed with broke stuff, going, oh, God's punishing me for this, whatever, whatever. You need to, you need to, you need to ask what God's purpose is for it. If God wants to teach me something, if he wants me to learn something, if he wants me to repent of something, if he wants me to do something, that's fine and dandy. But we can't say, we can't say that all suffering is caused directly by some sin that we've done in our life. If we do that, then we fall into the same trap that Job's three friends fall into. Now, Valerie brought up, you know, that we, you know, if I walk into somebody's room and they're sick or whatever's going on, uh, I say, well, God's got a good purpose. And, you know, that's usually the worst thing that you can say to somebody going through something. Okay, imagine you just, you know, lost your mother or lost or whatever. And I I walk up and go, hey, it's okay. God's got a good purpose. You know, you're going to get hit in the face probably by most people. So while it is true, it is true that God has a purpose in suffering. You have to, when you're counseling somebody through that, you have to, you have to work to that. You have to, as believers, we don't, we don't just bust in the door and tell them a bunch of theological truths. We come alongside them and suffer with them and we grieve with them and we, we try to comfort them and we try to do all those things. And then we bring that theological truth in it. But as for you guys right now, as far as I know, nobody in here is suffering some great tragedy. Uh, I can tell you that God works all things for your good. So when tragedy comes, you know already beforehand, God's working this for my good. You understand? The reason that I asked that, would you give God your eyesight if he asked you just for his glory for no other reason? Um, 
If the answer is no, then you value your eyesight more than you value God. It's a fact. And trust me, I struggle with the thing all week long. I tried to find every loophole I could find, and I just can't find one. Would it be an easy decision? It would not be easy for me, for sure. I, I mean, I would... You know, I struggle when God wants me to go tell somebody I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, m- much less worry about taking some some eyeballs or whatever. So uh, it, it puts in perspective that that Jesus told his disciples here. He said, this guy didn't sin and cause his blindness. His parents didn't sin and cause his blindness. He is blind because God caused him to be born blind so that he could get glory from this whole situation. Well, there was one time, one time when you were doing the youth class and I was sitting there and you made a, you made a statement and I don't know where you were teaching from, but you had made a statement, and I guess that's when things started resonating with me, and it, and it really made a lot of things fall into perspective, is that every moment of every second of every day, I deserve suffering and death. Right. Every moment of every second of every day, I do not get that, is God's mercy coming through. Yeah. Just like with my, my dad dying, I've had numerous people, she's heard them, numerous people come up to me with... You must have not you must have not really cared for your dad because you haven't cried or anything like that. And and I have been comforted. You know, God I prayed for strength, God gave it to me. So I'm very I'm very, very joyful. One, knowing where he's at, two, mm-hmm. knowing that I prayed for something and God gave it to me freely. And yeah. I mean, and just and absolutely and, and, you know, he gave me what I needed. He gave me what I needed for her. He gave me what I needed for the rest of my family. And so, you know, just like you said, it wouldn't be easy for you. I can say today, after all of the mercies that have been shown through our tragedy or anything like that, what you you had taught in that one class is that I deserve suffering every moment of every day. And when I don't get that... That's God's mercy. Right, right. And I never, when somebody always, somebody will always ask the question, why did God allow this bad thing to happen? I never answer that question. I always answer it with another question. And my question is, why has God not allowed it to happen until now? Why has He given you all those days with nothing, with no tragedy, with no sickness, with no whatever? Because we deserve, we deserve that. Even, even with, blind man who was, man who was born blind. Born blind. To me, all I can see, and of course that's easy for, for me since I wasn't born blind, is the mercy showing through in that because it would be a lot more agonizing or miserable or however if he would up to five, six, ten years old been able to see and then all of a sudden took his sight. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, he has he doesn't know what it's like to see. You can't miss something you don't know. Is like right. What he's saying. Well, he's pretty happy when he gets it, though. Oh, and well, he, absolutely. He, but his. But you would be a lot. You would be a lot quicker for you to do the oh, why me when yeah. for six to ten years or whatever right. you had yeah. sight and then didn't have it. 
he was never, being merciful. He never really missed what he didn't know, but when he got it, of right. course, he was grateful. Yeah, and I, I think that the born blind part of the chapter is to show the miraculous recreation that Jesus does because nobody ever cured a man born blind. So I, I, I'm just thinking out loud here, and this just might be my assumption, but he may not have all the parts, you know, all the nerve endings, yeah. all the whatever. And so by healing this man, yeah, I don't know about that, but he, Jesus healed healed the guy. He recreated all that stuff. You know, they did all that. And so what, what I want you to see as we kind of wind down here is that there is such a thing as redemptive suffering. There is such a thing as suffering that is redeeming and it's it's good. It helps you grow in Christ. What Jesus did on the cross was redemptive suffering. He suffered. He suffered like any other man would suffer who was being crucified. Uh, yet through that suffering, he you know bore the Father's wrath and redeemed us. Job was going through in the book of Job. He was going through redemptive suffering. Job lost. Uh, if you don't know the story, he lost his entire business, his entire financial, he was one of the greatest men of the East, the Bible said. He had all these, you know, camels and, you know, stuff. He just had this big, huge trade operation, uh, one big, huge deal he had. He lost all that. He had ten children. All ten were killed in a moment. Uh, he lost everything that he had and he lost his health as well. These big sores came up from, it says, from the top of his head to the very bottom of his feet. And it says he would scratch them with a pottery uh, pot shard. And it says it, it, the, the text says that his skin would get hard and then it would bust again. And they would just keep on festering. And, and so he's sitting in the middle of, of nowhere. Uh, he had his clothes rent. He was more morning he had these sores all over him everybody had died and the whole book is about job is asking why did you do this to me why has this happened to me why is this going on and these three friends come and the whole book is about them trying to tell job you must have done something wrong god would not let allow this to happen to somebody yeah but god in the very first chapter of job said of job that he was blameless in his sight and that he was the most righteous man and that, you know, the devil came to God and said, what about Job? God said, Job is, is righteous. He's blameless. So the whole book is these guys trying to tell Job how sinful he is when God in the very first chapter has said, no, he's righteous. So God allowed Job to go through all of that suffering. And the very end, God shows up and, and chastises Job and says, you know, hey, I'm God. I'll do what I want to do. Uh, and, and if I'm doing something to you, it's for your good. Romans 8, 28. It says, works all things together for your good. Now, does that make it easy? If I'm laying in the hospital bed tomorrow and they have bad news on my chart and you walk into my room and said, hey, don't worry, God's gonna, I'm going to hit you. Okay? You don't want to hear that when it goes on. Okay? You don't want to hear that. It's something you have to fight with. It's something you have to struggle to believe. Everything inside of you is going, even if you don't verbalize it, everything inside of you will be crying out, why are you doing this to me? And you have to fight with the Word of God and say, I know that something is, God is working to, for my good in all this. And so it's not a, a flip the light switch and it's a done deal, don't worry about it. It's a fight and you'll have to fight to believe it. You'll have to fight with it uh, because everything in your flesh will rise up and say it's not so and you have to say God's word says it is so it is so. And so 
the works of God. Before we go, it says, Jesus said the reason the man was born blind, the reason why the man was blind, uh, he says, you know, it says, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me. Now notice he said the reason this man was born blind so that the works of, works of God would be manifest. And then the very next sentence he said, I must work the works of him that sent me, of God. So he's saying the reason this man was born blind was so that the works of God would be revealed. And then he said, I must work the works of God. And so what that shows me is that what Jesus was saying, and he was talking not just about himself, but all the disciples there, all all the followers there. He was saying that we're not to come along this this blind person and say, hmm, I wonder why he's blind. He must have done something. He must have been something. What we're called to do is the work of God. We're called to comfort him. We're called to come alongside him. We're called to suffer with him. In this case, Jesus healed him. You know, and so if if any of y'all do that, man, please spit on me and rub some mud on me. But in this case, Jesus healed him. But what I think the work of God, a greater work of God in this chapter than him being healed is him coming more and more to know Christ. Him coming more and more. And the reason, I reason from that because over in Mark in chapter 6 it says that he came to his hometown and, and, and none of them believed him. So it said he couldn't do any great work there except he healed a few sick folks. You know, and so the great work was bringing people to salvation. And that's what happened to this man. He he started off, Jesus, after this passage here, Jesus exits the whole chapter. And he shows back up at the end. But the whole chapter is about the man getting hauled in front of the religious leaders and being questioned by the religious leaders. And at first they, they come to him and they say, uh, what happened to you? How did you get your sight? And he said, this man came along. This man called Jesus and he just rubbed some spitty mud in my eyes and now I can see and then they question him they, they don't believe him they bring in his parents and they talk to them and then then they say well now, now, now you were the one that was healed what do you say about this man the guy said well he's a prophet he's from God okay so you see him growing from he's just a man to he's a prophet and then at the end Jesus comes up to the man he says he says do you believe in the son of man you know talking about Daniel that prophecy you know the son of man talking about you believe in this Messiah this God man and he said who is he? The blind man doesn't know who he is. He, Jesus said, it's me. And then right then it said the man worshipped him. The man believed in him and worshipped him. So the man who started off as a blind beggar ended up a child of the king at the end of the chapter. And I think that that is the miraculous work because at the same time you see the Pharisees who's supposed to have it all going on with God descending lower and lower. They reject him at every turn. They reject him when the, the guy said that the man healed him. They reject him when he says he's a prophet. They reject him when he says he's God and they end up throwing the man out of the synagogue and rejecting Jesus altogether. And so at the very last two verses, I'm kind of overviewing because you're going to read it this week. Uh, The very last two verses of this chapter, Jesus said, I came to give the blind man sight and make the man who can see blind. And so I came to bring blindness and I came to bring sight. And the Pharisees overhear him and they say, are you, you, you talking about us being blind? And he said, he said, if you, if you uh, said that you were blind, then you wouldn't have any guilt. But since you said that you can see, 
He said, your guilt remains on you. So he was telling them, yeah, you are blind, but the problem is you're deluded. You think that you're right with God when you're not. So you got one man going up into the light, and you got this other group going down into the darkness. And I think that was the work of God. He says, I must work the works of God. The reason I think that is because the very next verse, he says uh, in verse... Four, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. He's saying, you better hurry up. In verse five, he says, long as I'm in the world, he says, I am the light of the world. Now, do you see the light and darkness theme? We've seen it before in John, but the light and darkness theme, the man who sits in darkness, blind, is coming into the light. First, he can just see. And then he meet, he knows who this Jesus is. And then he goes and he's brought all the way to the feet of Jesus as God and worship. Him. So he's brought from darkness all the way up to light, and then these other guys are brought from supposedly light down into darkness. And Jesus, the whole point of this chapter is what Jesus says right here, I am the light of the world. And he demonstrates that he's the light of the world by giving this man sight, but not just leaving him with sight, but bringing him all the way to salvation in Christ. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? You see that? Uh, so... There's no such thing as useless suffering for a believer in God. For a believer in Christ, somebody that walks with Him, there's no such thing as useless suffering. God uses it for a purpose. And you need to get that in your brain right now. Because when suffering comes, that's when the battle's on. You've got to have your, you know what I mean? It's like preparing for a prize fight. You can't worry. You can't do wind sprints the day before the prize fight. You better have them all done. You better get, better get in shape before the fight gets here. And that's what we're doing is you, you need to get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. Believe what the Word says that, that God's going to work all things for your good. So when the suffering does come, then you'll already have that weaponry. You'll already have that armor. You'll already have those that ammunition. When everything rises up against you and you want to say, why have you done this to me? And, and how could you do this to me and those things? Y'all with me? The absolute hardest time is when whatever you're weakness. Your problem is coming against.